Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Erie here, uh, and I know the the resounding disappointment. I can hear it in your ears that Seth Erie is not in the building. Seth Erie is at school finally. Finally. Yes, he's been quarantined like the better part of three weeks because he was exposed to COVID twice, even though he has no symptoms. Yeehaw. So that's why you got a heavy dose of Seth. Um, <laughs> and Tim, I love Tim. I love that. You add little Seth touches, little flourishes. That's right. Uh, if you will. Seth, we listen to those maybe 80 or 90 times an hour. I'm going to play his song right here. Please. Um, <laughs> when he comes home. So he wanted, he was, he knew, he knows that we're recording today. And he wanted everyone to say, Tim, hit that music. So, Tim, hit that music. All right, everybody. We got, man, we got a show. We got a show for you today. Um... I don't know. That's I, I feel like a talk show host is supposed to say that. We got a show for you today. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about talk show hosts because I'm thinking about Norm MacDonald, who passed away this week. Yeah. And what my favorite, and I don't know if this makes me more righteous in the eyes of some and less in the eyes of others, but my favorite talk show host ever is Conan O'Brien. Yeah. And Norm, Norm MacDonald just had some moments with Conan O'Brien. Yeah. And so I've been... Um, that I've been revisiting. I busted out a Norm Macdonald um, joke in, in to begin a sermon several months back, and there was one one person that got it. What was the joke? And oh, it was so good. It was it's um, he's comparing his wife to a battle axe, <laughs> and and the joke was um, and so I did this after Mother's Day. I I was like. Guys, it was, you know, happy Mother's Day. It's been a it's been a rough week for me. I was looking in the mirror the other day and I and I just, you know, what I see is just an ugly, fat, bald, middle-aged man. And I was so depressed. I looked at my wife and I said, "Honey, I this is what I see and I don't know, I could really use some encouragement." And uh, you know, anything that comes to mind and she says, "Well, your eyesight's damn near perfect." And <laughs> <laughs> and, and he and so normal he's riffing a bunch of these in a row and he's like you dirty dog he says about his wife and so somebody yelled out in the middle of the church you, you dirty, dirty dog, dog. <laughs> yes yes and everyone else was like what in the world was happening so norm mcdonald ladies and gentlemen yeah rest in peace um how's your week anything big happening in the stafford household no you know my parents got covid my dad was in the hospital so it was a uh, back and forth all week trying to take care of all that stuff oh the walls are closing in oh. that's how it feels yeah sorry that was a left turn after norm mcdonald <laughs> no but but i mean as we you know as we walked through this this week it's like such it's so serious and it's, it's i don't know where my dad got it we you know we were trying to protect my parents through all of the last year plus, uh, cause they are not vaccinated. And, um, 
and they ended up getting sick anyway. So yeah, you do what you can, and you Are know they, this is that weird time period. Everything's upside down. You just keep trying to. I had a long mental health conversation with a friend yesterday because you just. I think a lot of people don't even recognize that that it's gotten as cloudy and like heavy mm. as it's gotten mm. until you hit a wall, and then you're like, "Oh mm. man, I'm not in a good spot." Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's a low-grade depression for everybody, like the yeah. entire culture. Yep. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, totally, 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 man. And I'm, I'm sorry you've had to carry all of that. That just sucks. It's a rough. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, Everybody's we've carrying. About. Yeah, everyone's carrying something. That's just. I wish we could be a better. Well, I wish a lot of things that could have <laughs> precluded this whole time period, but. I really wish that we could be better about talking to one another about just, yeah, you know, yeah. the shit. Yep. 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 So, um, speaking of that, <laughs> let's talk about the Bible. <laughs> oh, I need to thank, first of all. Yeah, say some thank I need yous. To, I need to, yeah, I need to thank some people. We have a brand spanking new website that's coming, it's coming close yeah and we are very excited so brenda again and her team get a shout out it's amazing we're totally stoked on that because what's a new name without a new website timothy right. it's nothing it's like, it's like a resounding exist no it's a resounding gong to use the words of paul um and, I think and that's so what he was referencing yep and um yeah what would paul's website be like <laughs> his his bio no he would Beaten be uh, more than any other apostle those, uh, he would be one of those guys. He would be, what do you call it? A technophobe. He would have Hollywood. no smartphone. Yeah. He would have no yeah. website. Yeah. 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 He'd be out in Montana <laughs> typing on a typewriter somewhere. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want to thank some folks who, who joined us this week on the, on the uh, Patreon, in the Patreon community. I want to thank Jackie and Molly and Chris and Mark. Uh, for joining us this week. I think that's, I, we're continually surprised, amazed, encouraged, and grateful. Uh, we are a, a crowdfunded 501c3 little operation. And so this is so, you just don't even know how helpful it is. So thank you very much. If you want to find out how to participate, go to patreon.com, Voxology Podcast, or you can go to voxologypodcast.com. Oh, you know what else? I made a, I made a Spotify. How do you? What would, I made a Spotify channel just for the podcast. Ooh! And so I moved the. We have like a playlist of worship music that. No. Yeah, but it's like old stuff, old Come and weird on. independent artist stuff. Okay. We well, if you a, if you okay, all it's right. Stuff good. that I was leading last time I was leading. Okay. Trying to dig through stuff. Most of it's so not from the Michael last Michael W. Years. Smith. A friend's a friend forever. Petra. Nobody know nobody knows his secret ambition. No one knew his <laughs> secret ambition. But anyway, it's called Voxology Radio, and I'll put a link to it. And there's also a playlist of the U2 songs from um, the Wander conversation with Gombas. Yeah. So you can follow along with the music that yeah. we talk about. Yep. And I'm starting to make playlists of the different series of um from the podcast from here. Yeah. Such as yep. Sun on the Mount, New Creation, etc., etc., etc. All right. Well, I can feel our audience drifting to sleep right now. Oh man. Full of Michael W. Smith references. So speaking of that, let's talk about the Bible, Timothy.
Yes. We are in a never-ending series of conversations. <laughs> oh, you know, about- I sent you that um, tweet. I thought it was good. And maybe this is like, is it going in from, what's her face? From Beth Moore. Beth Moore. She tweeted a guy memorizing Philippians 1, 1 through 18, which she later corrected it, I think, chapter 2. Uh, with us told me he was getting so much from it he read it to a group recently he got called a liberal gonna tell you right now a lot of folks putting a check mark in the christian square are completely out of touch with the actual jesus of scripture i grow increasingly concerned this is the part that i thought was interesting for the conversation we've been having Mm. i grow increasingly concerned that we have a massive population of people who have placed their faith in christianity rather than in christ come on and an odd concoction of christianity at that Faith in Christianity is utterly bereft of power to save a single soul. Jesus saves. Come on. I thought that was interesting. She's just out there kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. I I appreciate her. Yeah. No, geez, me too. Yeah, there's a sisterhood forming. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Allison Barr, Amy Bird, Christian Dumais, and others who are just... um, doing great scholarship and biblical work and anyway it's it's a lot of fun to watch um yeah i I think uh, well the reason i know that's true is it's been true of me right you know what i mean i was saved into christianity i wasn't saved into jesus it took a it took me going to a retreat as a 29 year old pastor in seminary right where a guy preached on oh hey you know we've kind of missed jesus where I literally met Jesus in the midst of Christianity, but otherwise... Well, it's, it's such a simple concept, but I feel like it's like a, when we talk about veils, that yeah. feels like a pretty thick veil that gets pulled off and you're like, oh, I've been doing this backwards. Well, that's the thickest one. Yeah, it's so right. The thickest, The thickest one is the counterfeit. It looks like the real thing, but it doesn't have its power. Yeah, you get all wrapped up in it and caught in it. The, so the Mars Hill podcast, just one last time. Oh, good but Lord. The, there's a short episode that's only like 10 minutes long that deals with mythology mm. and how we build our narratives and how we build our stories. And he specifically is using a thing that Driscoll, how Driscoll's story of his conversion or however you want to label that changed over time, but it was mm. always very dramatic and it would add to his story and it would add to his persona and it would add to his, the way that he would do his ministry. And it was just this idea mm. of Christianity being the th- Christianity in quotes being the thing that leads mm. the whole conversation or leads how we approach other people instead of yeah, yep, Jesus. It's just yeah. it's kind of interesting. Well, and there's no way around it. I mean, the Jews of Jesus's day did this, right? Yeah. So here's Jesus introducing Jews to Yahweh, <laughs> and they and some of them are hating them, hating yeah. him for it, right? I mean, this this is the carnage that's built into the corrupted system yeah is that anything that's introduced to try to clarify will itself become a corrupted lens you know how they had the idea of the year of jubilee hold on or whatever? that's a freaking great statement that i just made there i know i was going to expand on it because you're okay. so smart no no i just wanted <laughs> there aren't often sentences that i say that i'm like someone smart could have said that say it again mike no, I don't yes. remember. Oh. That's the point. I could I forgot it completely. <laughs> anyway, yes. It, so you say it twice. Uh, <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. The year of Jubilee. Oh, the year of Jubilee. Uh, the idea of kind of like revisiting this thing every seven years or whatever. Uh, if the church did that theologically or like 
you know, every seven years we pause and said, okay, where are we? What have we been talking about? Right. What are our priorities? And just have like a hard, like, let's just stop, take a breath, do a hard reset, or just kind of see where we are and then go again and then stop and reassess and be like, all right, where are we? What are we talking about? What have we made priorities? Who have we hurt? Et cetera, et cetera. Do it again, do it again. Instead of just like trying to build on a, you know, ascent that leads to some, I don't know. But even then, yeah, it would be interesting. But even then that would itself become corrupted after a couple of cycles. That's the, you know, Maybe we that's why stopped. this is that's why this isn't deconstruction as if it happens once right this is discipleship because yeah. it happens over and over and over and by the way timothy what kind of searching do you have to do on amazon to get an ad in my inbox that says today's deal dungeon and dragon t-shirt club <laughs> i don't know you tell me bezos what are you smoking <laughs> I don't know, but that was funny. Anyway, yes, and I, and and because it's always been the temptation, the only antidote is community, and the, a certain kind of community that just continually continually immerses itself in the in the writings um, of the gospel writers. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's just you cannot leave the gospels. You just can't do it. You can add and go other places because they force you to, but just don't don't leave. If we just even even if we spend too much time in Paul or with Moses, you're just not getting the thing, right? You're mm. getting reflections on the thing, but it's not the thing, right? The thing's a person; it's not a book. And um, and obviously, the book witnesses to the person, but the book has become itself the point rather than yeah. seeing the person through the book. And so, so that's. It's it's such a validation, Tim. Thank you, because I feel guilty that we're spending so much time on this. I'm like, well, I don't want it to be boring or overwrought. But there is, at least for me, because I'm again, the, I'm guilty of all of it. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you too, and I know we don't have time for it, but I wanted to ask you, like in an interview format, as you've done. So this will be episode ten, I think. Holy on man. on this topic of the Bible. And as a teaching pastor, has this, from what you've learned just from studying on this, has this changed the way you approach like Sunday morning? Oh, it has changed it so many times that I've just lost count. last like nine weeks? Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the things we're talking about have evolved over the course of the last couple of years. And as a result, when I started teaching again, I taught differently, hmm. um, for sure, and I, and what I choose to teach on is much different. That's the thing that's changed most. Yeah, I was curious is about that, that yes? So the topics are no longer, you know, hey, how do we survive in a, in a hard world? <laughs> Great, okay, that's fine, but that's not that's not that's not the point of this sucker, you know. And yeah. again, this is just me, and I'm who you know, I'm I'm nobody, but. That's a great question, Timothy. Um, the The thing that has changed most over the last nine weeks for me has just been my my love of the the scriptures. I, I mean, it's always been super high, but I just the more I talk about it, the more I really find the whole thing compelling. Has the and, the script your high holding of the scripture changed 
Because I, I imagine you would always have said that you have a high view of scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Your high view, has your high view changed in what scripture is? Are you under, does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of these last episodes have been the fruit of years worth of wrestling. Yeah. That I'm finally just getting around to sort of systematizing. Um, but there are some things I'm, uh, that, that are, like we're going to do an episode on law, I think, next episode. And that's, some, that's stuff that's like current. Um, where I'm like, whoa, if that's true, then... X, Y, and Z. Um, the stuff that, that that was super relevant for me was when we were doing kind of what's the big story. That was the stuff that's like like on fire right now. So, yeah, so all that is to say, yes, still screwing as, me up. as a teacher, yes, I'll be too. As a teacher, <laughs> as a teacher of the Bible, I have this reinforces a different view of church, a different view of preaching, a different view of what a sermon is, a different view of what you should talk about when you do a sermon, and a different view of how sermons should work. Absolutely. It's all wrapped up into that. Totally. It totally changes the art and craft of a a guy standing up there talking or a woman standing up there talking. Right. Totally. Um, So I couldn't agree more. And and, and the best thing, I mean, you know this, Tim, we benefit more than anybody else from from doing extended convos on this stuff. No, we joked last episode that if the barometer for success is at least the two of us, then we're, this has been a really successful series. Absolutely. Well, for me, Sermon on the Mount really kicked me. Oh, like that was these three in a row have been there. I'm like I said during the new creation series. I'm trying to drag the practicality of the Sermon the on the sermon. Mount yeah. into the spiritual nature of the new creation because they they hold really different spaces, but they're the same. Yeah, I think I got it. Conversation. I think I got it. I think where we go after the Bible is back into that. Oh, interesting. Putting putting new creation space and new creation embodied communal practices together. I think there's... Oh, boy. Oh, snap. All right, anyway, today. Right. So the Bible, human and divine word, right? Yes. Claims to be both. Because it's divine, we use words like authority, inspiration, inerrancy, infallible. We're going to talk about all those words. Um, because some of those words aren't the best ways of characterizing how the Bible characterizes itself. When, it's, when we talk about it's human, we talk about that it's... Um, literary it's contextual it's um filled with god's accommodation to the worldviews and to sometimes the social practices of the image bearers that he's made we talked about context um and and this one the the conversation today is the most important conversation on the human side um because uh, I want to talk about genre and genre. Yes, Tim has a master's in English lit. And so Tim, man, let's play together for a little bit. All right, I want you to picture back. Let's go 15 years ago. Oh my. Okay, so it's the year what? 2006. I'm, I'm living in, I'm living, I know, I, it, it took us way too long to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living in uh, Costa Mesa, California, and not far from me is a Barnes and Noble bookstore. Mm-hmm. Now, bookstores, for those of you that, you know, are, are younger, bookstores were these large cavernous warehouses where books would be categorized together in thematic units. 
So there would be a fiction section and a nonfiction section. And, and what you would do, the, the one I went to was so massive, it had an escalator between the first and second floor. There was a coffee shop in this thing. And it was, it was my happy place. If I were mm -hmm. depressed, if I needed to go on one, like if I were studying, like this is where I would go. I'd go to a bookstore. We went on dates there to that one too. Oh, and we were just sitting there and read by yeah. ourselves for two hours. And yes, get <laughs> introverts unite at Barnes yeah. and Noble, and it was just—it's just a wonderful thing. And obviously, those are have all gone like the way of the blockbuster video store. Oh. But when you walk into it, for those of you who are younger, you, you would walk into like a rack of like just books that were on clearance, and it would be a mashup of man. Here's a book of Shel Silverstein poetry. Here's a cookbook on the keto diet. You know, here's a biology illustrated guide to biology. And then here's Mary Poppins. You know, it would just be a mishmash. And then when you walked in, you had the different sections. So the biggest one, of course, was fiction, nonfiction. Um, and then under those, you would have biographies, you would have mystery, you would have science fiction, you would have thriller, you would have romance, you'd have. Um, science or philosophy or religion um, uh, you would have uh, cookbooks and step-by-step -step manuals for things idiots guide for the SAT I mean just it was just this massive massive variation of different types of literature and no one had to tell you when you walked in that if you went to one part of the bookstore what you were going to find there was going to be different than what you would find in a different section. And it was just naturally assumed that you automatically adjusted to, to the truth claim mm -hmm. of what you were reading based on the section where it was. If you're in the fiction section, well, then you know this, these are made up stories. If you're in the nonfiction section, you realize, oh, well, these are at least, whether or not they're telling the truth, they're at least purporting Mm -hmm. You know, here's here's Andre Agassi's biography. Here's, you know, an account of World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, or whatever it is. That was a real battle, by the way. Uh, I just didn't make that up. Um, I, was, I was more amazed that you pulled out a random tennis star. Oh, Andre Agassi, dude. Come on. His hair. I was so jealous of that hair. And, and some of our 20-somethings will just have to look, look all of that up. But the point is... Genre was built into the way the bookstore was laid out. Yeah. You just knew, okay, if I want a science book, I go to the science part, and in that part, it's different than the poetry part. And the books that I'm going to read there are actually purporting to tell me something true about science, as opposed to the science fiction part, right. where, where there could be appeals to real science and real physics, but it's the arc. Uh, and the narrative is, is something that's totally made up. And I'm over making this point because what, what the Bible is, is a Barnes and Noble bookstore crammed between two covers. Hmm. And the problem is because it comes between two covers as a singular book, we're not warned in the same way we're warned when we walk into a Barnes and Noble bookstore. Right. And so there should be nonfiction and fiction and true crime and mystery and mythic history and poetry and letters to churches. There should be all of those cues that That'd are be there. Really interesting and helpful. If there was an edition that came out that way. 
Well, yes, I, I'm going to do that after we do the God Bless the USA Bible. That's the one I really, I feel like that's the one that's needed right now. But anyway, that's a different story. So the most, the worst possible approach to the Bible is to read it as if it were one book. And that was the way I was taught to read it, to read it yeah. flat, to read it as if there were no hills and valleys, no differences in genre, just to read it literally. I take the Bible literally. That actually turns out to be the lowest way you can view the Bible <laughs> because it doesn't respect at all the Bible on its own terms, at all. It boasts to be the highest view of the Bible that you could have, and it is the absolute most harmful and lowest view you could possibly have of the Bible. Now, yeah. we do take it literally when it's meant to be taken literally, but everywhere else we take it as the kind of literature it is. And so the Barnes & Noble example, to me, when you approach the Bible, that's what you're getting. You're getting a yeah. whole bookstore, you're getting a library in between two covers and there needs there need to be warnings for what kind of literature you're reading because what you can't do is read a book of a piece of psalms and juxtapose that to a narrative in samuel and then look at that compared to something in revelation and say see this is what the bible says right that's not that's not how we do it anywhere else yeah right no one reads books like this so when it comes to the Bible, if it's particularly we have the golden tablet view that it just sort of fell down from heaven perfect. And we think that the best way to take it is just literally, because um, that means I take it seriously. That's actually not, that's lazy. Yeah. Taking it seriously means you wrestle with it as it comes to us. No, it's the lowest, cheapest view. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, we want to beat up on that. Uh, idea because and, and even in our language like there are all sorts of genre clues right even so if i say to you um uh once upon a time right what do you know is coming a tale yeah a, a fairy tale time. yeah that will probably end you know happily ever after right or if i say hey tim two guys walked into a bar what's <laughs> a coming joke. yeah if i say tim a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. What's coming? I'm going to sit down and relax. Yeah, because we're going to watch Star Wars. That's right. If I say roses are red, violets are blue, what's coming? Terrible poetry. It, true. If I say <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, what's coming? Just plain scripture. Psalm 23. Yes. You're not helpful at all. <laughs> if I say Joe Biden campaigns for Democrat Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, what's coming? The news. Yes. Right, I mean, we are we we we. This is how we approach communication. Right. So, so I know I'm overmaking the point, but it needs to be overmade. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you cannot read the Bible flatly. You cannot just open it and say, "Oh, okay." Here's a proverb that says, "If I spare the rod, I spoil my child, so I should be spanking." Right. Totally. Come on. <laughs> Good Lord, this is awful. And I'm guilty of all of it. That's why I'm so fired up about it. Because no one taught me this stuff, right? I mean, it was all given lip service, but no one, no one took it seriously enough to wrestle with all the genre clues that the Bible itself gives us. Well, I mean, it, there's a fear of being heretical too. So I imagine a lot of people are like terrified to let go of just the linear reading 
especially as a pastor because you I, I imagine just like anything now where it's like hey if you don't tell people from the pulpit to vote for trump then you have lost like you are you're being a heretic you are not you're not towing the line as a christian right. I imagine that you'd be terrified to like yeah really put like uh, i don't know to go yeah. out of the normal lane of traffic yeah and and that i mean the the worst part of all of this is that our high view of the supposed high view of the bible has actually kept us from having totally a real view of the bible that's yeah. actually high yeah <laughs> so so uh, to make this point all right so a couple of thoughts number one if you're looking for a very introductory text to this there is a book man 80s probably 80s or 90s uh, by Gordon Fee, Fee and Stewart. Uh, it's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, which just sounds like an awful title, but it introduces genre in very um, introductory, pretty accessible ways. So we're not going to go through all the genres. I want to, but but to, I want to use, I want to show you how important this is by using the book of Revelation as a test case. Yeah. Because many of us are familiar with how Revelation has been understood, and it literally violates every single rule of the Barnes and Noble analogy that we can possibly fathom. I mean, it's just it is it is it is so harmful what it's done, and this was the approach that I was taught in seminary, and it staggers my mind that people who love Jesus and were this smart didn't respect the Bible enough to pick up its clues now they would have say of course no they were it was just the opposite and i That's and i so mean to frustrating i mean to literally throw these people under the bus i mean it like it was wrong yeah. wrong what they were teaching and how do i know again how do you know because everyone else says everyone's wrong okay well what does the bible say about itself mm -hmm. doggone it the bible will tell us often not always but often what kind of literature it is if we're paying close attention but you know none of us have been ever been taught to read for that so we yeah. just are reading for momentary inspiration or information to win a debate or whatever it is so um let's use the first several verses of revelation because there are three different kinds of genre um uh that types of genre that are at play in the book of revelation and 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 revelation tells you what it is all right yeah. so i'm gonna read some of the passages from revelation that tell us what it is and then i'm going to yeah. talk about the kind of literature it is and then we're going to talk about what's true of that kind of literature and then we'll sort of paint a picture and the, and the point the point just is to say that um the most important work i think at, for for some of us coming out of a certain evangelical subculture is this work right here to not take it as a flat document that is approached the same way um not at all yeah, the same way you're asked to think about God in a certain way, right? Like, yeah, not as a two-dimensional, this is a real simple father issue. That's right. That's right. So we're walking into the Barnes and Noble of the Bible. And, um, and so in the book of Revelation, it tells us there are lots of things going on. So um, firstly, verse one says, the revelation from Jesus Christ. All right. That's, so that's where we get the name of the book, Revelation. It's not revelations because the revelation is singular. It's the revelation of or about or from Jesus. It's all of those. But the word revelation is the word apocalypsis, 
And it's from where we get the word apocalypse. And it, it's a cue into a certain genre of literature called apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature is um, the hardest for Americans to understand because we don't have good contemporary examples of it. Um, uh, but it was fairly common in uh, the 200 years around the birth and death of Jesus. And um, there are some examples of it in the Bible, like in Daniel, uh, there's, the, there's a massive sequence from Daniel 7 to 12 that's apocalyptic in nature. And then in Mark 13, when Jesus talks about the end of the age, that's often called his little apocalypse. Um, but there are loads of examples from the Jewish writings of that day of apocalypses, and that's how we know about them. And so there are things, um, uh, first, uh, Enoch, fourth Ezra, or four Ezra, the apocalypse of Peter, the shepherd of Hermas. Some of these were actually considered, um, uh, or, or, hey, should this be a part of our Bibles or not? Mm. Um, they were well-known works. But they all have a certain stylized way of writing. They all, to be an apocalyptic literature means that it, share, it shares themes, certain characteristics and features in common. And so I'm just going to do a quick list of these for the sake of time. But yeah. apocaly apocalyptic literature um, usually comes out of a period of great turmoil. And that turmoil is usually between the powerful and the powerless, where the centered and the marginalized, right? Empire and the oppressed. Um, secondly, apocalyptic literature, if you look at it anywhere, is really heavily stylized. So mm -hmm. it's, it uses patterns, numbers, pictures, metaphors. It repeats them and expands on them. It's very stylized literature. The last thing apocalyptic literature is meant to be taken as is literally. All right, it is, it is highly symbolic and we'll revisit that in a second. Uh, apocalyptic literature is apocalyptic. Apocalyptic, the word apocalyptic means the unveiling or the revelation of something. And so um, the way apocalyptic literature works is it kind of takes earthly events and then gives you a heavenly or of otherworldly perspective on them. That's that's what's being unveiled. It's like it's like you saying, um, or people would say things like, "Okay, so Trump and Biden, that's an act, that's actually a battle between good and evil." Right. And in the heavenlies, here are the heavenly hosts, you know, versus the demonic hordes. That would be an apocalyptic take on right. a political battle in 21st century America, right? So. Apocalypses use cryptic, highly metaphorical language. Um, in, in the case of Revelation, it, 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 it includes something called recapitulation, which means to return back to the top. There, it's the, the, the temporal sequences are not linear, but cyclical, and they're all making the same point. So you have bowls and seals and trumpets, and they, and they seem like they're sequential, but it's all the same thing happening at once. Hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, because it's cosmic in nature, another characteristic of apocalyptic literature is cosmic terminolo terminology. So like, here's a great example. So in the book of Isaiah, if you read Isaiah 13, which I did yesterday, it's a judgment against Babylon, right? The capital of Assyria, but it's written as the universe, the ending of the known universe. Hmm. So there are all these images about the heavens being torn in two and the earth being shaken from its foundations and all of this like 
like the stars falling from the sky, right? But it's just saying Babylon is going to be judged. That's right. all it's saying. But it uses this mythic cosmic language. And that's just a convention. It's like this is of such geopolitical significance that it's as if the very foundations of the universe, you know, were shattered. Right? That's just yeah, an apocalyptic totally. convention. And so the yeah. last thing you do with that is look for stars falling from the sky. <laughs> and, right. and Jesus uses this language. The prophets use this language. And obviously, Revelation uses um, this language. Apocalyptic literature is usually written by minority groups. And it mm -hmm. employs dualism. There's no shades of gray. It's good or bad. It's light and dark. It's good and evil. Um, and you see that all throughout the book of Revelation, right? You've got the, the demonic trinity, um, the dragon and his beasts, and then you have the lamb um, and the one who sits on the throne and the spirit, you know? I mean, you have this, it's just this beautiful, and then, and then there's this temporal dualism too, unique to Revelation where um, th this age is characterized by great wickedness, but there's an age coming mm -hmm. that is being birthed right around us, right? That is the age of, of God and his son, characterized by shalom and new creation. And so all of this is just par for the apocalyptic course. There's nothing crazy about it. This is just what you did. This was... This was um, and, and apocalypse, the, the, and the reason all of this was done was to provide assurance. It was never given as a timeline. It was never given as here's what's coming. It was always given to say, "Hey, you're part of a bigger story." And so, so I need to read this quote, okay? Because it's so good. Revelation was not sent to those seven real churches, the seven churches of Revelation, as a mysterious text that needed to be interpreted. It, it, was, it was sent instead to interpret the world of the readers. It wasn't for them to interpret. It was an interpretation of their world. They're being persecuted by Rome. They're on the margins of the empire. The great Do emperor Domitian is now demanding emperor worship and beginning, just beginning to persecute Christians who don't. And so Revelation isn't given a, as a code that needs to be figured out. Revelation right. is given as a source of encouragement that what's actually happening, contrary to what your eyes are seeing, is that, that the kingdom, this fledgling movement that these little churches, embryonic churches are a part of, is actually winning. Yeah. And the suffering they're undergoing is proof that they're winning because they're following a guy who suffered and won. That's the point of the book. Yeah. And it's so compelling. The first readers and hearers of Revelation didn't need a special key to unlock it. Revelation was the key by which they could unlock the real meaning of the events around them. The current events. Yes. So an apocalypse was given in order to make sense of events. It wasn't given for people in the future. Yeah. It was given to make sense of current events so that, so that you would be encouraged to stay faithful. So and the when giant you read, grasshoppers weren't helicopters? <laughs> I remember being told that when I was a kid. Oh, totally. Now, now, because the language is symbolic doesn't mean it's not real or that it doesn't have a real referent. Totally. And that's where people get confused. Is well, if it's just symbolic, then it doesn't refer to anything. That's not true. Um, it refers to real things, absolutely. But the language itself, and like, yeah, the I mean, I remember watching whatever the dumb movie was that it was about the return of Jesus and the you know, 
the rapture and it was, you know, the great beasts were locusts and they turned out to be Apache helicopters or something. Yeah, totally. It's just idiotic, <laughs> right? And, and used to, you know, create such fear in people. And, and Revelation, it's so funny because the, the text itself uses a word um, that is used in the book of Daniel um, to talk about how it's symbolic. So when it says the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the word show there is actually the word for symbolize. So it tells you that what you're getting are a bunch of symbols that do refer to real things, but it's don't press the symbols for literal meanings. Yeah, that's not that's not, that's not how this code. works. Totally. So the first thing Revelation tells us is that it is a piece of apocalyptic literature, and there are all sorts of conventions that it uses. That if you're familiar with apocalyptic literature, you're like, well, yeah, that's how it works. So from line one, from line one, <laughs> it tells you what it is. Yeah. All right, then we go to line two, or excuse me, line three. Um, verse two says, uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are the ones who hear it. So, Revelation was meant to be read aloud, right, to the first audience. Yeah. And it's considered a prophecy. Hmm. Now, five times, it, Revelation refers to itself as a prophecy, all right? I won't read all the references. And let's see, one, two, three, four times, it refers to John as a prophet. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're Jewish, when you hear of a prophet, what do you, what do you think of? What do you think of? What do I if think of? If you're Jewish. Oh, yeah. I'm Jewish. Yeah. Who are you thinking of when you think prophet? Um, Isaiah. Yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah, and was their job to predict the future? No. No, what was their job, Tim? It was usually to comment on what was happening in that time and place. Yes, correct? to call the nation to repent yeah. uh, from its injustice and renew its covenant loyalty to Yahweh. Yeah. Correct? And if there were any predictions involved... None of those predictions were super specific, nor were they meant to be a calendar. So twisted, because that is how, like my, my brain immediately from my upbringing and anything I've ever heard or whatever is that prophecy is fortune telling. Yeah, I mean it's telling the future about something. Yeah, and and sometimes that does happen. Like there's an instance in the Book of Acts where somebody receives a word that there will be a famine. Absolutely. Right. There but are times large, that happens. those prophets were hated because they would show up and be like, listen, but, ding dongs. But, but the point of revealing the future was to cultivate faithfulness in the present. Yeah, totally. The point was never to cultivate curiosity about the future. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, prophetic literature, I mean, just read none of it. I mean, so I'm just going to, I'll pound through some characteristics, but Prophecy, just remember this little phrase, prophecy does not equal prediction okay. in the Bible. Prophecy does not equal prediction. Because so many of the different schools of thought about revelation are, ooh, when are the predictions fulfilled? Absolutely. Was it in the first century? Is it is it now or is it in the future? Yeah. And we want to say, nope, that's not how the book works. Now, there does seem to be future stuff about new creation in there. Mm -hmm. 
But notice how nonspecific it is. Yeah. Right? I mean, we have no idea what that means or when that's happening or even if that's a symbol itself. Or if that's the point. Well, we know it's not the point. Yeah. But it's been delivered in in that way. John, when, when John says he's a prophet, he's not primarily delivering predictions about future events. All right? He is calling his people to faithfulness. And you see Jesus being prophetic over the churches. So there are seven churches. He's like, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. He firms them. Some he rebukes. Some he warns. Right? He promises rewards. I mean, this is all very stylized apocalyptic literature, but it fits within what apocalyptic literature was supposed to do. Namely, confront and comfort. Confront apostasy, which was the prophetic piece of this, and to comfort, which was the apocalyptic piece of this. This this episode's going to need a glossary. (laughs) It's a lot of big words. Totally. And and if you want examples uh, of this, just read Isaiah. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And and Isaiah will use phrases like, in those days. But he's not giving a prediction there. Right? What he's doing is he's he's engaging in this dualism. Like, it's horrible now, but there will come a time when it won't be. Mm-hmm. Or, and that time is time of the Messiah. And so sometimes he'll say, you know, in those days, X, Y, and Z will happen. But, but we're not pressing him on those details. He's simply saying, listen, you're in exile now. There will come a day when you're not. Now, mm. is that a prediction? No. Not the way we think of it. Right. Yeah. Right? That's a call to faithfulness. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this whole re- revelation is a calendar of the future. That is That adds so much corruption to our understanding of the, of the text. Because revelation is a recapitulation. It's, it's I mean, it's actually two things. It's, it's filled. It's, it's got over 500 quotes and allusions to the Old Testament in 400 <laughs> verses. So it's interesting because okay. it literally, the way that we have read it, and the way we approach it achieves the opposite. Yes, reaction that it's it does ex- for. it does exactly the opposite. It makes us yeah. future focused and unengaged. Yeah, and unfaithful. Yeah, to to God in our generation, when the point of it was to make us engaged and hopeful, yeah. in engaging right in the world around us. Totally, that's such a that's insightful. Absolutely, ma'am. All right, so. Um, so in the first three verses, we hear that it's a, an apocalypse. We hear that it's a prophecy. And then right after that little sentence about prophecy, then it says, verse four, John, comma, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who was to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Um, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve, to serve as God and Father, to him be glory and power forever. Amen. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like exactly what Paul does, right? Yeah. That is something called an epistle, which is an occasional letter. And not occasional in the sense of every now and again, but occasional in the sense that it was occasioned by something. Right. An occasional letter. It's you realize also occasional because it happened every now and then. That is true. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you realize, oh, John is writing 
a prophetic apocalypse in the form of an epistle. Hmm. All right? And, and he ends it as an epistle. By the way, we won't look at that. And he's writing to seven flesh and blood communities the same way Paul. Paul at the end of Colossians says, hey, make sure the Colossians or make sure, oh, make sure the Laodiceans get this letter and read the letter I wrote them. Right. Right. So they were just meant to be read aloud in the communities. And so here's a letter to seven flesh and blood churches meant to be read aloud in their congregations. Because it's an apocalypse, you knew the conventions. Right. You were getting heaven's view of what was happening. And he wasn't confusing all, it. He led with that. Yes, exactly. It's in the first, I mean, like you, you talk about your thesis in the first four verses, he tells <laughs> you what the book is. Yeah. So it's an apocalypse, number one, which is an unveiling of Jesus, not the unveiling of the Antichrist or end times. This is, and what it turns out to be is the, all of this stuff that had been applied and promised uh, of Yahweh is now shared with the lamb. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. It's prophetic in that it also uses language of the emperor at the time mm. and applies it to the lamb and to Yahweh. And, and now it's an epistle in the sense that, and this is the most important part of an epistle, it would have been understood by its original audience. Right. Why would you write a letter that nobody could understand? Totally. That's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> Very ineffective. So, so if Jesus wanted to encourage the flesh and blood churches of the late first century, he wouldn't write them a letter that only Americans in the 21st century could properly interpret. Right. But we are the center of all time. So, yep, we are. We are temporal narcissists. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> only, only now matters. Only what's happening currently is important. <laughs> right now. Oh, good. I like that. Listen, there, there are so many other things we could say, and I've been extremely and hyperbolically playful and frivolous through this journey, trying to make it somewhat interesting. But there's a very profound point. When you go to the book of Revelation, you hear about the seven churches being seven church ages, or you, you read about um, the, the bulls and, the, and the, uh, the lambs, not the lambs, the bulls and the trumpets and the seals and the river's gonna be blood. And I mean, you're, and you're, and you're making charts and graphs. And I did this, I fell for it. In the late 80s, early 90s, I, it was just swept up my culture. And it was like, yeah, the late great planet Earth and left behind. And, <laughs> and that has so polluted our imagination. We, we, can't, we can hardly see Revelation differently. But imagine the, the damage that would have been avoided had somebody just said, <laughs> and maybe they were, you know, screaming in a corner of American culture somewhere going, nope. This is not what the book's doing. This was They're never the point doing of the book. Humbly in their church, while the other guys were screaming, yeah, through the Christian bookseller market. Um, and so it's it's so you know the frustrating part is that I was a part of this, and I would have, I would have said, oh yeah, dude, yes, of course. Um, Look at that. Yeah, the 70 weeks of Daniel and the, oh my God, I mean, here it is in 1988 and then Israel becomes a nation in 1948 and, you know, the generation won't pass by and a generation was 40 years. So 88, Jesus is coming back in 88. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you realize, oh, good are. Lord. Yeah, and, and, and here we are. And, and there is a great deal 
of the angst, anger, and corruption in the American church that we could directly trace back mm. to the fact that we so misunderstand how the story ends. Um, and, um, and so for me, there's a, a grieving to it, but there's also a deep desire to repent, right? It is a repentance. It is a turning yes. away. And, um, and so for those of you, you know, who are still with us after 10 episodes of talking about how you understand the Bible, <laughs> um, I mean, this is, this is the work right here. Um, when you're reading in Psalms, you know, the psalmist saying, I want to dash the, the heads of infants. God, dash their heads against the ground. Right. Well, you know, that, that's part of the way you would talk in um, and those, that particular, what do we call those? Um, oh, dang, what are they called? Uh, not penitent. Precatory. Precatory psalms, they're, they're, they're psalm, and we have examples of these from all over ancient Near East. God, would you do X to my enemy? Right. Now, that's not God saying this. Yeah. Right? That's a form of literature. And that's the right? complexity of the yes. divine human but, interaction. In the yes, but an atheist will grab that and say, see how violent and awful this oh, Old Testament sure. God is? I have heard that one recently. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. No, humans using the 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 way and and hallelujah and and can God use all of it? Well, yeah, He does. Here we are, we're still talking about this dumb book. How many thousands of years later? And I don't mean dumb oh, literally. Yeah, I just yeah. mean like we can't get over it. It's just the complexity of it. Is so it's just so interesting because even the example you just gave, the conversation that that provokes, in if if i have an understanding of what is actually happening in that in that piece of scripture in that psalm and i'm approached in conversation with somebody who has taken that literally in his you know they've read it flat and they've and said they oh everything like that completely astounded and offended by the grotesqueness of yeah of this god that we proclaim and i'm able to have a conversation that is an interesting way of god using that scripture but it 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 requires a complexity of not just of in that conversation two people having one having an understanding to help translate that but that opens a larger conversation from there and suddenly the text has inspired god working through a misunderstanding you know what i mean like it's, yeah. it's so complex that it invites our yes. it's not just our reading it and then saying no this is it period it's like it's like improv right if you do yeah. improv, you know, you, the rule of improv is that you always say, and yeah, or yes. yes, and yes. And so someone says a line, then you, you, you offer something back to keep the improv going. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing where it's like, we're invited in that conversation of not offering periods to everything, yes. but to engage in conversation to help Starting route to understand. Yes. Driving? No, I just had to see how long, sorry. <laughs> I know we're recording, but I had to see how far away my lunch appointment is, so I know when to end. <laughs> Sorry. Starting route. Starting route. Starting route to heaven. I want you to know I was totally listening to what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Truth just came out right there. It's on the audio recording. <laughs> Mike's looking for directions through my ramblings. No, never. The Wanderer. If you want ramblings, go listen to The Wanderer for crying out loud. No, you know, Tim, yes and... <laughs> that improvisation um, picture is actually, and we've talked about it before, one that I find really compelling. Yeah. 
for how to understand the inspiration and authority of the Bible. That those are those are relational terms, not terms of you know dusty tomes of books uh, spouting moral theology. I think there is all sorts of moral theology in the Bible, but it's all given in the context of covenant, which is a relational term. Yeah, and so. Um, there is a there is a yes and to that that is provoked, but who I mean who who would ever know? But but think about it. What is the psalm? See, we think God. If it's in there, then it's what God is saying. Yes, and it, and that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is um, uh, this. It is totally. I think absolutely inspired. But what's inspired? Humans totally. are inspired, right? And and I think there are times words um, are inspired. Absolutely, yeah. you know. And, this and just I reiterates think, what you said about that. This needs to be read in community because totally. handing handing Bibles out blindly to people, which was obviously something that happened when I was yeah. younger, we would just give or just the New Testament with some Psalms or whatever it was. But yeah, and and can God use to, that? Can, Maybe of sure, but but the idea well, of, of us being in like a community to wrestle through—did God really just say smash babies on rocks and be like, "Well, uh, d- does that seem consistent?" Let's dig into that. Let's find out in right. community and find out that's not the case. There, that's two very different outcomes for someone's understanding, which then affects the way that they navigate and think about the universe right. at large. It's just—it makes sense to do this together, yes, rather than just trying to open a open it and be and expect revelation every time you crack the book open well yes boy boy there's so much there tim because there are all (laughs) sorts of nuances because i do think the book is relevatory right revelatory i should say revelatory um i don't think it's just a flat record of how the israelites experience god i do think god is poking through all over the place but how do you know when it's him poking through and how do you know when it's just the Israelites? Yeah. And, um, and I, uh, and obviously we're in the midst of parsing all of that out. Right. And, um, so when, when, and even in that Isaiah 13 passage, I think there's a baby dashed against the walls from the prophetic Oracle of God saying, I'm going to, but it, but it'd be like me saying, we're going to kill them all. Yeah. We're going to kill them. And, and I'm talking about a football game. Dude, right. they got annihilated. Right. There, there, there are ways of saying things in the ancient world that they, you know, we look at them and read them in English and go, oh, okay, well, there it is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, nah, I, I don't, I mean, maybe the psalmist was that angry. Sure. Right. And is there room for that kind of anger in covenant relation with God? Damn straight there is. Yeah. But that's not God's voice there. Right. But what but why would it be included then? Because that is a part of covenant relationship with the God. Yeah. Yes. Yes, our enemies are winning. Why the hell won't you do anything? Yeah. You know, I wish you'd crush them. I mean, David at times is like, "Oh, do something." But notice he isn't doing anything except crying out. Right. So his his lament, even in its precatory forms, is actually an expression of covenant fidelity rather right than and maybe he did, but I'm just saying we don't right. know if he yeah, yeah. took it upon himself then to dash babies against the rocks. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the fact that the I mean, that's part of the high view. And I guess that's where faith also enters the conversation, obviously. There's 
always the extra color on top of everything, but whether or not no. he did that, we have what we're given to work with within that. So it's yes, and we have Jesus, and that's right. the and that's so it's not faith in the sense maybe I was hearing you think or say. To me, it is. I mean, theologians would call it the rule of faith, like. The rule of faith is if it, if you are in a text and that individual text does not comport with the body of doctrine handed to you, then you're probably misunderstanding right. the text because the rule of faith would say, no, it's not going to contradict itself. I would want to clarify that and say, no, there are parts that, that paint the opposite edges totally. that are to be held in ambiguity and tension. And one of those is forgive your enemies and another one on the other side of that is dash their children against the rocks. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Now, which one's the heart of God? <laughs> well, clearly the one expressed in Jesus. Right. Which one's my heart? Right. Well, very often the other one. Right. But both find their place in covenant relationship with yeah. Israel's God. Yeah. And, um, and so, anyway, all that is to say, I mean, I mean, we can riff forever and we're not going to. Next week, I think if I if I can finish a couple of things, I want to look at um, law as a as a um, uh, genre, mm -hmm. and because um, there's some really interesting interesting stuff there. Like one thing I, I was I was reading about was how the death penalty was often associated with the offenses the king took most seriously but was not meant to be literally applied okay so we have random like put them to death like there's a rebellious son text that was applied to jesus and if in the, in the, in the case of a gluttonous and drunken son a rebellious son you'd put the son to death hmm. so the argument was and i don't i mean this is where i just need to do more research but the argument was First of all, we don't have any record of that, which doesn't mean it didn't happen, uh, but there's no record of it. And secondly, we have examples in other law of, of other law where the death penalty would be applied or it would, it would be an index of, of letting you know which, which offenses were the most serious. Even if that verdict wasn't applied, it was like, hey, this one we take really seriously. Right. Like honor your father and mother is super important to our community. And so in our law, we have a law that says, if you don't, you will be right. put to death, even if they weren't always put to death. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I've read it. I've read it in a couple of scholars and there are a couple more. I want to confirm it in, um, but that would be an interesting thing, particularly if you're accommodating. And right. these law codes were patterned after ancient Near Eastern law codes. Well, that would make sense. Right. Totally. You know? So I don't know. Anyway. Okay. I got to go. My, my, my navigation app is saying it's time. It's time. It's time to leave, Tim. All right, friends. Well, every time we end one of these, I think of a thousand other things that could be said or that I should have said better or that Tim should have talked more or Seth should have been here. So we just kind of have to die to the idea that there's a perfect episode, but it is of immense help to us when you tell us what's cropping up in your thoughts. That yeah. really, that, that adjusts future content uh, all the time because totally. we, we desperately want to be in a conversation 
and we believe the whole community thing. So let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, until then, friends, let me, let me do our blessing and then we'll let you go. I'm going to go get some Mediterranean food with some friends. Uh, like a good Jesus follower should. I'm going to get some <laughs> lamb, possibly, and some pitas. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and in these days. Oh, these days, may he give us peace. Till next time, friends. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us